The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Monstrous Regiment, featuring a roundtable of Dominion women seeking to honor Jesus Christ in applying God's Word fearlessly and faithfully in all callings and seasons of life, both in and out of the home, reversing the curse and smashing pagan strongholds. Hi, everyone. This is Cheryl Hannah Nicholson, and I'm with the Monstrous Regiment. It is my pleasure to have with me today Tim Yarbrough. Tim is somebody that I've watched on the internet, and I also had the privilege of meeting in person uh, this, this past summer. And uh, he is someone who has impressed me with not only his devotion to the Lord, but his devotion to his people in practical ways. And the intent of us having Tim on here today is um, a lot of us who are Christian Reconstructionists are really good at pointing out all the things that are wrong in our society and how it doesn't match up with God's word and how we're disobeying God's law. But a lot of us lack the ability to provide the positive answers. And Tim is somebody that I've been watching actually putting into practice positive answers and positive solutions that he's been working on for years now, which are, which are bearing fruit. And so I want to know how you do that. I, I'd like it if you could share with us what you've done, what you've determined, and, and how you're going about being an influencer in your, your area where you're living. And if you could share that with us so that maybe we could replicate that ourselves, that would be really awesome. Well, uh, here in our area, it's, it's kind of important to, to realize I'm just a country boy. Uh, I live in North Alabama and I live in the same county I was born in. Uh, I live eight miles from where I was born and raised. Uh, so I was raised on a farm. Uh, we had a, a fairly what would be considered a good-sized farm, and uh, we grew our own food, we planted our own crops, uh, we, we did all of those things. We learned how to work on the farm. It was my grandfather's farm, and uh, I, I did not realize that anyone thought I was poor uh, and never heard that, actually, until I got to college, and uh, so today it's kind of humorous because uh, there's a movement, you know, for people to try to recover the good life, which was the life they claimed was my poor life when I was growing up. So <laughs> I guess everything comes in circles, but uh, my, my memories there, I, I, I was taught to work. Um, my grandparents were Christians. My parents were not. Uh, and uh, probably the, the most delible memory of, of my early childhood was the fact that I, I felt safe in my community. Uh, but with my grandmother, uh, if you went to my grandparents' house, which we were at complete liberty to do, uh, <clears throat> and uh, in the evening times, the way the bedrooms were set up, uh, my grandfather slept in the front bedroom, my grandmother in the middle bedroom, and then there was an extra bedroom at the end. They didn't have hallways because that was an obvious waste of space. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you were one of the grandchildren, you slept in the same room where grandma did, did and there was another bed. <clears throat> 
And so I can remember distinctly uh, growing up and, and as I spent time with my grandmother, uh, she would lay there at night and she would pray for all of my cousins and my brothers. And I can remember <clears throat> the great joy of her discussing their sins and with the Lord. And it was such a delight to hear about my evil cousins and brothers. And, uh, but it was always the case. My grandmother could not leave well enough alone. She eventually had to get around to me and my sins. And, uh, so the Lord <laughs> used, uh, my grandmother in that regards early on to begin to, uh, make my conscience tender, uh, toward the Lord. And, uh, so I, the Lord converted me at the age of, of 17. And when the Lord converted me, it was, it was, uh, for me, it was a very radical event. It, it, it altered my life. It altered decisions and the course of things for me. And we went looking for, uh, it wasn't just me. I, I was uh, converted along with a number of young people in our area. And, uh, we went looking for, uh, mentors. We, we, we were serious about faith. How does this apply? Mm -hmm. And to kind of give you an idea of how dramatic an event it was, uh, in my high school, I went to public school in my high school in our science class shortly after the, this event where a number of us, uh, professed to be converted to Christ. Uh, we were in our science classroom sitting there waiting for the teacher to show up and the Holy Spirit just came upon that class in a public high school. Wow. And when the teacher came in, every single student in that room was on their knees weeping. Wow. You can only imagine the shock of, of this teacher. Uh, even some of the most hardened um, uh, reprobates among us uh, were weeping. And so we had uh, that experience and, and of course we didn't have enough life experience. We didn't have enough, uh, uh, you know, theological knowledge to, uh, to have any maturity about us, but we knew we wanted to do right. And through that, the Lord encouraged many of us to go and make restitution uh, to things. I can remember I went to make restitution. I stole the mounds candy bar. And, uh, you know, at that point in time in my life, if you were going to be a thief, I couldn't think of anything any better to steal than a Mounds candy bar. <laughs> so uh, I did. And, and the store owner was a Christian, but I wasn't the only one. There were a number of young people that that was true. of. Uh, and so, uh, but what we discovered was we could not find mentors. Mm. Uh, in fact, it was rather frightening to some of our people uh, in our, our communities, in our churches, they were concerned uh, that perhaps we were a little too uh, serious or, or too radical. I did not know how to evaluate that, but uh, it come to be that the Lord used that in my life. Uh, and eventually uh, it was through that experience that the Lord led me to make a commitment that if there were young people in uh, my area of influence that needed help or needed an elderly person, an older person, uh, they would not lack for someone at least trying to get involved and help them. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to the development of a mentoring and an apprenticeship program with my uh, businesses. I've, I've been involved in business for many, many years. And so, uh, you know, when you combine economics with ethics, uh, that has a, 
that can have a very powerful impact. And then uh, discipleship, uh, when you, you hire uh, young men, in particular it was young men, for many years. It, it hasn't been until about the last, I mean, with, there were some exceptions, but like the last 10 years, more young ladies who have, have come along as well. And uh, so uh, you learn, uh, you know, like uh, one of the first things I learned uh, was I wanted them as I developed convictions, I wanted the, the young men that I wanted them to have my convictions. And uh, so about two years into the process, I discovered I had a problem. And I discovered that the problem was they had my convictions. So when the pressures of life came, what you discovered is, is that they would not defend my convictions. Under pressure, it became preferences. And so I had to go back to each of them. And God was so gracious at that time. I just simply didn't, I just didn't know. And uh, so I went back and told them, uh, you know, I've, I've made a horrible mistake. And I realized that in the mentoring process, you know, when you are teaching and trying to educate, uh, that the key is to help them to find under the work of the Holy Spirit, their convictions in the scriptures and have a sound basis that they understand and embrace for that. Uh, when the storms of life come with that, they'll defend it and, and they'll live it. Uh, so that was a little bit of a, you know, a, a hit on the uh, ego because you, you have this tendency to, you know, to exalt your own convictions and uh, things like that. And uh, you don't realize that, uh, at least in my case, I, I didn't realize I, that's what I was actually doing. So that was one thing. And then another thing we did, we have a, in our mentoring program, uh, you, you've heard, me talk about this uh, we start out the same with everyone and that is uh, copying out the book of James and the reason we do that is that James is full of life lessons uh, I mean it's just abounding in life lessons and so one of the primary first lessons that we wanted young people and it's also not just young people but myself you, you can never get away from this and James teaches us that every man is tempted, and I like to read it like this. Tim Yarborough is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And so it's a very personal reading of it because what happens is, is we, we have a tendency in our lives that we want to deflect sin to the enticement mm -hmm. and God doesn't deny the reality of enticements, but it's not the foundations. So what we do is we, we create these different levels of deflection where we can say things like you made me mad. You frustrated me. You've done those things. And we're okay. able to, to disassociate uh, the, the foundation of it, you know, where James says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you, Tim Yarborough? Do they not come from the desires, the lust that war within your, your flesh? Yeah. And taking ownership of that. And so over time, we realized that that really was the key to uh, learning how to grow in the covenant was, was taking responsibility. No, so over the victim. years, 
yes, yes. It, it, well, it's it's easy to do because it, it is our natural religion. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the woman I, I, would, I would be a better person if it wasn't for you. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway that 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 was kind of the initial process uh here in our area uh, over the years many of the young men and now some of the young ladies have worked for us mm-hmm. uh and that has developed into uh like uh, the lord used that to also help teach you to recognize you know when he talks about he gives gifts uh and and you, you, the Lord began to teach us how to recognize those things in, in others and said, okay, well, if you recognize those things, how do you develop them for, uh, you know, the purpose of the kingdom of God? And, and this was an important uh, transition period uh, in my life and in the life of some of my other brothers and sisters here in, in, in our local area. Uh, because by this time we had realized what one of the major problems was w- within the institutional church. And uh, I've actually had the opportunity to present this. Uh, I have a whole developed speech on this. And that is that so many of the men who are called ministers or pastors and so forth, what happens is they build their ministries to be important rather than to be victorious. And it is an incredibly subtle difference. Yeah. Uh, but the difference is huge. But that's not just a temptation of people in that position. Like uh, what happens with that is here's how it works for them. And, and I've actually found that many of them resent the fact that you, you bring this up because, it, it, you know, all of us do in our own way because it has a tendency to cut very close to us. Uh, but you you build your life to be important rather than to be victorious, and I'll explain the difference in that. Mm. Uh, but then when you build your life to be important, what happens is it's necessary for you to have dependency. Then when people play out the role of dependency, it creates a weight on you that you've discovered that you're unable to bear. And then you'll hear nonsense like this. Uh, that there's no job as difficult as the job of a minister or a pastor. And I've often spoke to pastors. I said, well, let me see. Now, we have a lady in our community has five children. Three of them have cerebral palsy. I'd like for you to hear you tell me how your job is more difficult than hers. This should be an interesting conversation. Because what really happens when they start saying that is that what they're communicating to you is, look, I claim that God has called me to this position, and now I'm a victim of my faith. That's the reality. <laughs> He's and, given me this job, but I don't have the resources. <laughs> yes. And, and, and so uh, it, it's an attempt at spiritual empathy uh, that is uh, an embarrassment, basically, to the Christian faith. Yeah. And so, and I've shared this with a, a, a number of men. I, I think that's, in my view, that's the number one malady of those who are in uh, what what is known as leadership positions within the institutional church world. Well, you know, that's not, it, it also crosses out of that into other areas, because I can think of other sure. situations where we create dependency instead of creating 
uh, independence and the ability to go forth and replicate. Yes. Well, it happens, for instance, in the structure of a home. Uh, I, and over the years, I've seen businesses do the thing that can't survive the, the you know, the initial visionaries. Right. Um, I, and, and, and I couldn't tell you how many times within homes, rather than children being taught how to make decisions and live with the consequences of those decisions on the basis of God's word, uh, they were actually handicapped from the decision-making process, even as they grew older. It's the same concept, just again, applied to a different arena. Right. Well, the idea of being victorious means is that you have to become unimportant. Uh, in other words, maturity has to be replicated. And one of my favorite passages uh, in dealing with that, which is pretty remarkable, uh, I think anyway, is in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, uh, and, and again, this is something I've shared often because it, it does demonstrate this principle. Uh, there, you know, Stephen had just been killed. And, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then it makes this remarkable little statement. Except the apostles. All the leadership was still in Jerusalem. Everybody else was scattered. And you go down to verse 4, and this is a demonstration of how to train for victory. In verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, except who? The apostles. Except the apostles. Yeah. So uh, an incredible uh, demonstration of maturity. They went forward advancing the kingdom because they were doing exactly what you said. That was faithful men had trained faithful men who were training faithful men. Yeah. And, and so they, they realized uh, the, the wonder of being victorious was maturity of each believer's life. So, you know, that I think you've hit something key. And, and uh, one of the things that I say to, to moms when they're raising their children is that we're not raising babies, we're raising adults. And so if you're constantly picking up after your children or constantly making decisions for them, you keep them dependent on you and they don't learn how to do the same thing and we see the same thing like in Hebrews 5 where the writer of Hebrews is scolding them for still being babies sucking back the milk yes instead of going out and being mature in their understanding and their uh, discernment and applying the word in every area yes So, well, uh, going through that that process, uh, you know, eventually through the use of entrepreneurship and with with young people. Of course, we were involved with the home education community. I mm -hmm. uh, got involved in that. We I actually was uh, started and was the first coach for the uh, the homeschool teams here in North Alabama. Loved it. Uh, you know, enjoyed it. And, uh, 
and started teaching in homeschool circles and things like that. And, and so what, what occurred during these, these times is uh, I was raised in a dispensational view of the Christian faith. My exposure to it uh, was that. Uh, but the problem was I was already an entrepreneur. And so I was inherently aware that my entrepreneurial drive and the particularly the eschatology and the uh, internal, um, uh, I guess the internal examination, the introspection of the faith as it was, it was taught did not match. Uh, so I at least had enough maturity to realize that there was this, this conflict of that. Uh, however, at that time, I, I did not know there was any other view of the world. Um, and so uh, during that time, the Lord began to bring people into my life and some books. Uh, one of the first books I read, I bought in a place called Hopkinsville, Kentucky, at some little podunk bookstore up there. And I got it for a buck. And uh, since it, and I really bought it just because it sounded like a religious book, you know, because I was in a bookstore that had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it was this book called The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember reading that book and it scared me to death. See, I, I believed in the sovereignty of God, but this guy spelled every letter with, with a capital. Yeah. And, and I can remember reading it saying, oh, I wish that God were that big a God, but if he were that big a God, then that creates problems with what I think I know. And, and I had this, this raging conflict. Uh, and, and so, uh, I knew nothing about, uh, you know, illumination or anything like that, even though I had the experience, I didn't know what it actually meant. Right. And so, uh, during this time, the Lord began to bring me across, uh, readings, uh, by a man named RJ Rushdoony. And uh, we did not have any rush dunies in my county. Uh, so uh, I remember the first two books of his that I read. And here was a, this guy who was applying the faith to every aspect of life. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it. It yeah. was incredible. And um, then the next, next thing was I was introduced to his institutes for biblical law. And uh, so I, I remember uh, I actually took off and uh, turned over the running of my business to some of the guys I had in charge. Uh, so I could just isolate myself and read that book. And, uh, it, it was, I mean, it was just eye opening, you know, because he, he did the gamut of, of, of life and it stretched me really beyond my ability to even think. And of course, at that stage of my, I had to get a dictionary so I could look up some of the words that, uh, Dr. Rush Dooney was using. <laughs> because <laughs> I had no idea what they meant, uh, but they sounded impressive. Uh, it would just be good if I could put them in some kind of a knowledgeable sequence. And so uh, as that developed, what, what happened, uh, uh, it was really from my own failures that the Lord began to uh, help me to formulate a practical Christianity. Mm -hmm. And, and I, in the process of this, what happened is I developed this thing called the circles of influence. And it actually grew out of my own failures mm -hmm. uh, because I was guilty of violating it. 
And typically what happens within reconstructionist circles and, and circles of others uh, is, is that we reach out for these big issues that are so much bigger uh, than, than we have the capacity to deal with. And we have no influence in those arenas. And uh, so uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, the circles of influence, uh, should I just maybe do a quick? Yeah. Do I mean? I think okay. Well, the circles of influence actually comes from God's scripturally assigned priorities. And it, okay. it was this because it helped me to begin to learn how to make decisions from a biblical perspective. And through the writings of Dr. Rushdoney and reading the scriptures, I had, I had boiled down investigation into each area of life to two questions. And these two questions were, number one, what does God require me to think about that? And I had already by this time developed a, an understanding that basically I was a Christian socialist. Now that sounds contradictory, but it's, it's, it was true. And, but I didn't know I was a socialist. Uh, for me, growing up, socialism was geographical, not ideological. And, you know, if you were a socialist, you were in Soviet Union. If you were a communist, you were in China, uh, that, that kind of thing, you know. And that's, yeah. I mean, that really is how I thought about it. Uh, the fact that I was a practicing socialist never occurred to me until, you know, uh, this process began to happen in my life. And so what happened with it is I began to say, Lord, this is just, this is just not working here because I was living a life that was very frustrating. And, uh, and, and that frustration was playing out at times within my own home. And so what would, here, here's what we do, you know, in the scriptures, this is kind of the mo more matured version of it here now. Uh, and then I'll back it up. But in the center circle is, is in God's uh, economy is self-government. Everything else flows from self-government. And learning how to read the scriptures so that Romans 12, 1 and 2 was a practical application. It says, a righteous man studies to answer. Well, what if I read that Tim Yarborough studies to answer? Would that affect my thoughts and my speech? And would it affect how I interact with other people? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. So, and, and I realized by this time I was aware that, uh, you know, the scriptures teaches, uh, be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own self. That unless what I learn converts itself into my actual thought life, my speech life, and my conduct, I'm a deceived individual. Hmm. And it's entirely possible to have it in your mind and not have it in your life. This was the problem with the Pharisees. And at this point in time of my life, an honest assessment of it was that would have been a good description of me, uh, though I thought I was a righteous Pharisee because I could point out all the things that were wrong. Uh, and so, uh, and I could wax eloquent about it and I could be very passionate about it and all of those things, it was all there. And so self-government leads itself to family government. And if a man can't govern himself, what you would discover is that he's very poor within family government. And the idea of governing yourself under the commandments of God leads one to realizing that 
uh, there are certain things God requires of me. Number one, uh, I am not to be overcome with evil, but I am to overcome evil with good. He didn't deny it and that it's challenging, uh, but he gave me marching orders. Tim Yarbrough, this is how you are to deal with that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Mm-hmm. So family government then uh, requires uh, treatment of, of how I deal with my wife. Uh, and uh, I had a radical uh, uh, change in how I deal with this when uh, I realized uh, I, I was taught this. This actually came through the writings of Dr. Rush Dooney. And it was, it was just radical for me that I'm not permitted to have by scriptures, a personal relationship with my wife. That just sounded so radical to me when I first heard it. I was like, what do you mean? And as I went along, I realized what he was talking about, that every relationship we have is a commanded relationship. So what happened with that, it began to change my family government. Uh, it, it also radically changed my government with my children. Because I begin, instead of responding to my wife, I would respond to God's command. Tim Yarbrough, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Tim Yarbrough, you are to dwell with your wife with understanding and be not bitter against her. Tim Yarbrough, you are to honor your wife as the weaker vessel. Tim Yarbrough, you are not to be treacherous with the wife of the covenant of your youth. And so these things begin to have impact because here's what I discovered. This is how you know you're a hypocrite. Uh, if I fail to take into my thinking God's commands, I would say things to my wife I would never say to God. <laughs> and so what I found is that by a reorientation of my thinking and my processes and responding to God's command first, what happened, my wife became a benefactor of obedience. And, uh, and so what, what occurred in that is that it began to lessen the friction that I personally was creating in that relationship. It's the same thing with my kids, but I'm also in a commanded relationship with my other brothers and sisters here in my community. Right. And so that began to impact our family life. And from an economic perspective, uh, uh, not just economics, but in other things, the scriptures gives us a priority. I am to prioritize my family. And, uh, you know, the scriptures says that if I don't take care of my family, uh, Tim Yarborough is worse than an infidel. So the question is, does God intentionally command me to prioritize my decision making on the basis of my family? Yeah. Okay. So I can just. I can live with that. It's comfortable. I'm great with it. Uh, and so the next phase is uh, in the next circle is what we call for uh, just because we didn't know anything else to call it, just sound like it fitted, an intentional circle of influence. This is where you pull people into your circle of influence that you intentionally want to influence you and your family. For instance, a companion of wise men will be wise, mm-hmm. but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So you go to Psalm 1, and uh, you know you read Psalm 1 about the kind of people you don't want, and, and Scripture says, 
uh, make no friends with an angry man, lest thou learn his ways and become like him. With a furious man, thou shalt not go. And so there, there were people that are to be excluded. The fact that they may belong in your own family, uh, you know, in terms of your extended family is, uh, well, it's just one of the challenges of being faithful. And uh, so you, you, you need this, this group of, of intentionally chosen people. And what we learned over time was you will either choose them or they will choose you. It's better mm-hmm. to be intentional about that. And, you know, and I've had occasions over the years where, where people have said, I'd like to do business with you or I'd like to be friends with you. And I've had to say, no, that's not possible uh, for you to do that. And they would want to know why. And I said, well, quite frankly, I don't want your influence into the core of my life. And, you know, I've seen the Lord use that for good. And then I've had people who have gotten upset. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I say, well, there, there's a way, you know, that this can be cured. Uh, but you know, you, there are some changes that you're going to need, need to make. Uh, but the other side of the coin is you, you may not think that it's worth that just to have a friendship with me. And you, you may be right about that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you have this intentional circle of influence and it could be people in your home school community, business, uh, I have not always found it to be the people in the congregation where I go, uh, even though there are some there in that circle, uh, but, but within other congregations within my community and their influence is marvelous and uh, their delightful brothers and sisters and God has used them so often in my yeah. life. And so uh, the third one and the reason you need them is because each of those people will have their own circles. And when you go out to the third circle, that's your community. And it was in, in our community, you have, you know, like your other congregations, you have your business associations, you have uh, your, your social organizations, homeschoolers, uh, the list is endless. But if all of you are out there influencing our, as it were, leavening that part of the culture, different parts of the culture, uh, what happens is you multiply your, the, the influence of the kingdom of God itself. Not necessarily your influence, because we don't have a formal organization, don't want one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have is an ethical, organic uh, love of Christ. And so uh, with that, you know, this is where you, uh, you, you can have real potential. For instance, my greatest influence was in my family. Now, when I move from circle one to circle two, where I have this intentional circle of influence of people, what happens to the amount of time that I can invest? Well, it goes down. And what happens to my influence in that? So it also goes down. And then when I move from circle two to circle three, the amount of time I can invest goes down. And uh, the amount of influence I have goes down. Right. So, uh, we, we have to recognize that this is a constant. So then in our structure here in this country, uh, if you go out to circle four, it would be what we call the state and circle five would be the feds. And so in circles four and five, there are certainly issues that are there. But what I was doing was I was going out and picking up these issues and uh, I have no influence in the state. None. 
Okay. Uh, and I have no influence. The only time anybody at the federal level or the state level, with the exception of my local representatives, have been interested in contacting me is when they were looking for donations for their political campaigns. I have no influence. So what I would do is I would reach out to these arenas where I had no influence and engage the battle so that I could intentionally lose because that's exactly what I courted. I had no potential to win that mm -hmm. uh, or, or basically to see fruit from it. And that, that was a, a life of intentional uh, frustration uh, because I set it up to fail. And so what I would do is I would then take that frustration from the outer circle and bring it right back into my home. <laughs> the very thing I was trying to prevent, <laughs> I was the guilty culprit. Well, what that describes far too often is a rebel looking for a cause rather than a steward looking for a kingdom. Would you say that that's one of the biggest temptations that we face as people who want to build the kingdom of God? I think it is for this reason. And this, this, uh, this can really strike home. Uh, because of pride. And the scripture teaches us that knowledge alone puffs up. So the fact that we could understand these issues and so forth has a tendency to give us a gravitated uh, elevation of value about our own opinions on these issues. Mm -hmm. And then we manifest that in pride and, 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 and we, we wouldn't call it that we would call it, you know, the fact that we're, uh, well informed, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but I've seen it for many years. I've been involved in Christian reconstruction now for, uh, a little over 35 years. Mm -hmm. And sadly I've, I've seen this play out. I mean, it was playing out in my own life. And uh, I've seen it play out many times. And uh, so, uh, you know, when you, you, you do these things, what, what you learn is I can't influence the state. I can't influence the Fed. And, and the other thing you realize is how many people does the state create? None. <laughs> the federal government, none. So if I want to change those arenas of life in our structure, what do I must change? seek to change and that's the first three circles mm -hmm. family the intentional circle of influence and the community because all the people that go to the state come from there right. all the people that go to the feds come from there right so uh there there's a uh it was during this time another vital principle came to me of course i was violating it too uh and that is uh why would god give me a family if i can't govern myself uh, why would God give me a, a position in the community if I can't properly govern myself within the context of family? You know, it's, it's this continuous it's a principle mm -hmm. uh, in the scripture that says, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Right. 
And so what we say, God give us much before we've demonstrated faithfulness in the little. So we're asking God to violate his own principles. Uh, I highly doubt we're going to be successful with that petition. And, and so uh, over time, what happened, we, we began we, with uh, homeschoolers working a lot with, with home educators in business. And uh, it was during this time we began to see that there was a great need to try to help recover our, the generation before us uh, out of uh, what one of my friends calls old people's warehouses. And uh, we, I mean, we were doing the same thing. We do this with, with education. We do this with the care of the elderly. We do this with all kinds of things, including even work is we warehouse it, uh, you know? And so we begin to study the scriptures in regards to God's view of widows and orphans. And from that, uh, we began to develop, uh, it started out uh, slowly at first, uh, how to recover the care of the generations before us. And so we, we developed some, some little study papers, uh, Ourselves, we begin to reach out. Uh, in my own case, my parents and, and my, my dad actually passed away in my home where we, we cared for him here. And we begin to recover this. And it led us to developing some, some places that could be used. Like, you know, you would have desperate situations that would arise. Uh, here in my county, we have a little over 900 widows. And uh, the gamut of those that there are those that are cared for. Uh, their families are very involved with them. There are those that are just totally neglected, but for the most part, the, what, what is called the institutional is absent from this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, we began to provide some homes and uh, to visit with them, to do projects for them, to help them with their homes and, and so forth. And uh we begin to realize what a joy it is uh, just to do these simple things that mean incredible much in terms of building community and care. And um, so then the orphans in, uh, and, and as we begin to do this, we also begin to become aware of abuse and uh, women who were abused. Uh, and this happens, uh, we, you know, this happens within the church, uh, and it's uh, it's covered up. Uh, the way it's addressed is in, is incredibly shallow. Mm -hmm. uh, covenant breaking is is countenanced and covered up, uh, and and so we we decided to create a uh, a work that was was a safe place for uh, women and children who needed to get out of dangerous situations. And it's small, uh, uh, but we, we do have some places. And then the other thing that we had to learn in the process is that these people who come from these abuse situations, this sounds horrible, but it's, it's really not. You can't trust them. Right. And the reason being is they can't trust themselves. Right. They've become so addicted to this process of covenant violations. And so in order to protect the possibility of other people, uh, you know, we had to take steps to protect these people from themselves. And that, that was a huge learning experience. And uh, I mean, we've seen it go on uh, 
in in institutionalism uh, as far as the church is concerned we've seen it go on uh you know like in our work in the community uh there's calls where there's there's breakups in homes and things like that and you go there and you know the wife has been beaten up and we're talking about people who aren't even associated with you know anything as far as the church is concerned the kids uh are are they're, they're just accustomed to being beaten uh those kinds of things and i can remember the first time uh or well one of the first times i went and i was sitting there and sometimes all you can do is sit and hold someone and weep with them i mean it's there's just no words and i don't know how to describe that but that's the reality and uh, I remember uh, sitting there in a chair like I am here, and there was a little five-year-old boy who come over and stood beside me. And I reached over to put my arm around him, and his yeah. first response was this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, to be five years old, I mean, it was heartbreaking. I mean, I just broke out down sobbing. Uh, to be five years old and for an older man to reach for you, and this is your first reaction. Yeah. So uh, we became convinced, you know, the reason God put us here is that these are very practical things and it's evil. And so therefore God has commanded us, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that that's kind of what has motivated us. And now what we're doing is reaching across denominational lines uh, we were able to actually find where the first denomination started. Most people haven't got that yet, but they actually started in Corinth. Uh, and uh, one of them was called the denomination of Paul. One was right. called the denomination of Apollos, right, and, and yeah. Peter. And, and, and this has been a serious handicap to the kingdom of God. I, I have just, as I've gotten older, uh, I have just become so opposed to this concept of denominationalism where we, we separate on the identity of one or two things. And um, what I have discovered over the years, and this helped to learn how to break down these barriers and get, uh, God has people in all of these places. And to, to begin to get people to participate together at an ethical level as opposed right. to a structural level. Right. And um, so, so one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, we, we learned uh, was how to just bypass that and try to build the bridges on, on ethical participation at our local level where we could actually see and touch and taste what we were doing and how it was beneficial uh, to our people here. And so uh, now uh, one of the things, I mean, we're hoping to, we're expanding some of our, our work, Lord willing, this coming year to include more housing for uh, abused women that it seems like it's becoming an epidemic in our culture. Uh, and, you know, you most people, because I, I don't do a lot in terms of, uh, and I don't talk about this stuff on social media or particular cases or events or things like that, because I don't think it's a place for it. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's, as you do things that are ethically 
appropriate from a scriptural position. It opens doors for you, you know, where if someone and I, we're, we're, uh, if I, if there are 10 things I would love to be able to agree on, if we can bridge that gap with one first, mm-hmm. then it gives us a chance to reach to two, you know, and, and we can grow and mature through that process. And, uh, and of course, thankfully the Lord taught me many years ago about people having my convictions, uh, that, that, that didn't work out good then. And it's not going to work out now, but if you can participate ethically, together on these things, what happens is you begin to see, it's like writing out the scriptures. You see, what you discover is the scriptures are true, that God's word begins to penetrate the heart, dividing the thoughts and the intents, the bones and the marrows, and it produces all kinds of great conversations. Uh, You know, as a general rule, I've never had any of these young people come to me and say, Mr. Yarborough, I really would like to commit adultery. Do you think that'd be okay? You know, I just don't get those questions or, uh, you know, come to me and say, you know, for a career, I just want to be a bank robber. That's, that's what I'd like to do. That's not what happens. Uh, So it's, it's a little more subtle than that. And, and so when you can become oriented to the ethical aspects of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and those ethics flow from a redemptive work, uh, it, and and you learn to become satisfied in doing these these little things. Uh, I, I remember, uh, like one of the great lessons of scriptures. You know, if we're not careful, what happens is uh, I created all kinds of tensions with my wife. Uh, every married person will know this. You know, is because. Uh, the reality was was what it was. I wanted her to change, but I wanted her to change to what I wanted her to do. Right? I mean, that's right. that's where. But I, I wouldn't have. I would not have said what I really want is to be as God, uh, even though that's exactly what I was portraying. And of course, vice versa. Uh, you know, and and you create these tensions, and then within the marriage, what happens is is that you realize that because of their lack of understanding, the way that you solve that is you raise your octave by one. And of course they figure out the problem is, is that you, you're hard of hearing. So they raise the octave by two. Right. And, uh, so, uh, and you'd learn to, to, in, in God's disciplines to, to do away with those things. And, Oftentimes I find, uh, like with my Christian Reconstruction brothers and sisters, is that we forget that somebody taught us a different paradigm to think from. Yeah. Uh, I was a Christian socialist. It was through the help of other people, books, people spending time to me. I listened to, I couldn't tell you how many sermons, and it helped give me a different paradigm. Because I didn't have it before. Can you define what you mean by being a a Christian socialist? (laughs) Yes. I was a converted Christian. However, I did not know how to think or live as a Christian from a, for instance, a thinking standpoint. Uh, Where God says, Tim Yarborough, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
that even in a converted state, even though the Holy Spirit did lead me something, I did not know how to think God's thoughts. Right. I had been trained to be a collectivist. Okay. Right. And yeah. I didn't know how to be, I was a socialist in my economics uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I became an entrepreneur at the age of 12. I started making money and I always told my kids and grandkids at the age of 12, I started making money and I discovered I really liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so all my, my grandkids and, and, and children have shared that, that, same story. But I, I also uh, accepted Indy as a part of an appropriate life. Uh, you know, the socialist programs, uh, uh, you know, equality. I mean, I just, all those things. And, uh, and it was through others investing in me that I began to build a different paradigm to think through. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a good example of how this worked. I had a, a fellow who is a he claims to be a fellow Christian Reconstructionist. I went to a um, city council meeting with him. He gets up and just lambasts these people. I mean, he took them to task. So when we get done, he, he wanted me to go with him. And, and I realized uh, I had some questions I had to ask him. I said, well, now, before you got up and did this, how many of those people had you invited out to lunch, shared books with them? and tried to help them to develop a different paradigm, the answer was none. How do you like me so far? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay, now I know why you vi- invite you. You've invited me here so you could showboat yeah. rather than to be effective. You want it to be important rather than to be victorious. Right. And how many of those people do you think has ever been helped to – go to a different paradigm in their thinking. If you haven't, you who claim that you're so concerned, but you've taken no time to talk with them, you've not taken them out to learn, to get them where they could trust you, or any of those things, you haven't given them any books, and all of that, and, and this is your claim, and then you do this, and you think that that's productive. And what you did was just put extra cement in the wall between you. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's that's kind of the the idea, you know, to be satisfied. Number one, where God plants you. Uh, I was going to share the lesson in in Corinthians. You know, uh, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. Right. But He goes further than that. And this was an important lesson. He says to us, he that plants and he that waters is nothing. That's an incredible testimony, isn't it? Yeah. But God who gives the increase. And, and so what I, I kept finding in my life was a violation of this basic principle. And that is I was going to find my satisfaction on the increase where God intended for me to be satisfied in planting and watering. Yeah. We all want to be in at the harvest. <laughs> yes. And, and, and as the Lord began to discipline me, uh, and it was, I mean, there were times it was a really hard lesson. You know, you just had to confess these things before the Lord and, and pray, Lord, give me, I mean, my prayer is God, give me my County. Uh, that is my prayer. Uh, 
And at the same time, you have to surrender to God's jurisdictional claims. And so I became, uh, the Lord began to teach me to be a joyful planner. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to be produced. Right. He taught me how to be a joyful waterer. I have no idea what God will or will not do with that. Right. Uh, and it was when I, uh, and for the most part, I think in my life, I've, I've actually become successful with that by the grace of God. Uh, I became a joyful Christian. Uh, I love starting things. I love uh, finding areas in my county where I can infiltrate it. It starts out small. It always does. Uh, and you become innovative. And you, you, God gives you brothers and sisters that will help you. Uh, we sit around and we'll have coffee and we'll talk about these things. And we started when we first started, it was very small. Uh, for the first eight years, it was really small. It was just me. And uh, uh, not only was it small, but it was also very inexperienced. <laughs> so, uh, but you, the more that you do these things and you honor what God assigns to you to plant and to water and to be joyful in doing that, mm-hmm. uh, what happens is, is at least in my case, I can say I became content. And Lord, if, if this is your people, you will do this. If it's not your people, you know, it's, it's not your people. But you govern your enemies as well as you do your friends. And, uh, and, and to, to come away satisfied in that. And so one of the things that this led us to over the years, see, we think we know our communities. We, we, you know, this is, I'm a Southern boy, a Southern people. And you think, you know, and we started this process of doing interviews in our community. And, uh, we, I learned so much, like we interviewed the business owners. How did you get started? Uh, what has been the greatest benefit of running your own business? How did you develop your philosophy of treating your employees? What's been the impact on your family? If you could do it over, what would you do differently? Uh, if you were to be talking to a budding entrepreneur today, what advice would you give them? And you, you learn all these magnificent things about people in your county. Uh, we do the same thing with the different ministers here, the county commissioners, the councilmen, uh, interview them. And what, what happened when we first started doing this was, uh, see, I was, I was interviewing them. I wanted to hear their story. Mm-hmm. And what I learned in the process, and it was just me, it was some others too, as, as they picked up what I was doing. Uh, we begin to learn to listen with a different set of ears. If we believe that God governs his enemies as well as he does his friends, what we were listening to was their version of God's story in their life. And as we begin to view that through the lens of God's operation in their life, we became to uh, appreciate the image bearers of God, mm-hmm. even those who are his enemies and uh, not for their sake, but, but for the image sake, yeah. image God, you know, 
And, uh, and, and so it also taught us, like uh, in, in one of our Baptist churches, I, uh, this is hilarious because it so shocked me. Uh, it, see, again, this is part of my collectivist thinking, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't realize until you get to the other side of it. I interviewed the, the pastor of that congregation and so on and so forth. There were 15 business owners in that congregation of people. So I interviewed them. Now, what was amazing was, is that I found out there, there were 16 different theologies in that congregation. And in, in, in my mind, that's not how I saw it. You know, I mean, there were some shared things, but when you come to applications and things like that, it was just so different. Yeah. And, it, you know, God began to break down in my mind, uh, my collective, collective process. And I began to see every person, whether they claim to be a believer or an unbeliever as an individual. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you, you just, at least in my case, you just don't realize how deeply ingrained collectivist thinking had gotten a hold of you. Well, it allows you to objectify people and treat them in ways that are contrary to the golden rule, just because they're this larger number that has lost personality. Oh, yeah. And, and well, you know, I, it, it's one of those things where you start learning how to give up expectations. And it was a lesson I had to be disciplined to uh, because they would say things which didn't fit the block, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you have to learn to shut up uh, because, you know, you want to say, well, wait a minute, aren't you, aren't you a Baptist? You know, <laughs> Instead of, aren't you a person? Uh, yeah, you know, an individual. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, it, it, you know, it's just those kinds of things that you learn. Uh, but you also learn this, just like in Acts 8. Uh, as you go through this process a number of times, God begins, like, we have a second generation here now in our community, a first generation that's actively doing these kind of things. And we have a second generation coming up now and they're doing these things. They're doing reading clubs They're that God has given them their own circles of influence. And you realize that uh, they do, they, they practice their lives with wise counsel. They seek advice. They do those kinds of things. And yet at the same time, you get to see the one and the many. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have their own circles of influence. They don't need uh, people like me to oversee that. Uh, yeah. And um, so one of the things as a, an older man, uh, I, 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 I tell people it's my favorite verse uh, related to my work as an older man and as an elder and uh, is Second uh, Corinthians one twenty four. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we're helpers of your joy, for you stand by faith. And you come to appreciate the fact that for faith to be productive, it has to be real. Yeah. And you can't force real. And um, if it's genuine, it's a work of God. And, uh, and so you just pray for them. God used them cause them to be influential. We have young couples now that are helping to mentor older couples who don't know what they know. Right. It's incredible. Uh, and, and, and God has used them effectively. 
and um, just because of the the way that the Lord brought them up. So, you know, there's this tremendous hope if we build our lives to be victorious instead of to be important. Uh, it brings an effectiveness because it leaves God's people subject to uh, God's control, God's education, God's use, and and it works. You know, I, I've been taking notes the whole time you've been talking because every time we speak, I always come away with treasure to apply and, and ideas of what to do. I'm wondering, do you have any of the stuff that you've been talking about in terms of what you've done over the years written out anywhere that people could access? Because, I mean, you don't, we're probably going to create interest with this podcast and mm -hmm. I know your time is very valuable. Um, and you don't have time to talk to everybody who would like to talk to you. Is there a way of accessing some of this information besides taking notes off this podcast? <laughs> well, actually, no. Uh, I am not a fan of, of uh, posting our activities on social media. Uh, and I know that there, uh, there are things that can be learned that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, th I just have a personal conviction uh, against it. Uh, now, we are going to, uh, at the request of some of the younger guys here, some of these things we are going to do in a video and, and post it. Yeah. Uh, just so people can go and hear it because even like with our, our, our training, uh, we started out, we used to, you know, like do outlines of stuff and all that. And what we discovered was, is that it actually detracted from what we were after, uh, rather than the intimate involvement of each student with the scriptures, with the word of God. Uh, what we were doing was we were enabling laziness. And I know there's other ways of looking at that, but I, I can tell you that that was our experience. Okay. And so when people had to dig in there and, and we have people say, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, great. Uh, you know, the scripture says that when we treasure wisdom and knowledge, yeah, uh, better than silver and gold, how we orient our time will reflect our values. Yes. And you're asking me, uh, you know, how, how to alter that. And, and I, I, I don't know how. I, I remember one of my favorite stories was a drunk in London stumbled into Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he looks up at him and he says, Mr. Spurgeon, I am one of your converts. <laughs> and Spurgeon says to him that, must be true. You obviously are not one of the Lord's. <laughs> so, you know, that it, it's in doing these things, what, what you discover is as you put one foot forward, mm -hmm. uh, God will open up other ideas and they'll blossom. Like for instance, when you go do interviews at like, if you have a nursing home or elderly people who are in, elderly care and you go interview get their stories yeah find out about their stories and ask questions uh 
you know, tell me about your childhood. How, what was your home like? How did you come to meet your husband, your wife? How many children did you have? What did you love most about being a mom or a dad? What was the hardest thing you ever had to face in life? If you could pass on three things of wisdom, it is incredible what you will get. Yeah. But here's another story that, that grew out of that is that we were sitting there and some of the people who work at the place, you know, when we were going around would say, you don't know how uh, much we appreciate the fact that you come and you spend time and talk because they're so lonely. People don't visit them. Yeah. So we started praying about. It. So what we did then is we found out about their family and we would leave notes saying to the, we want to thank you for sharing, uh, uh, you know, grandma may with us to learn. Her story was incredible. We were so impressed and we would tell part of a story, which the likelihood that they ever knew was unknown to them. Right. And so we would thank them and ask them uh, questions like, you know, we were, we were just so wonderfully blessed by meeting your grandmother would you mind calling us and letting us talk with you and get your stories, your favorite stories about things for your grandma? And God has actually used that here in our community to help bring families back together. Wow. And uh, what, I mean, when, if you know the stories, the, the hardest difficulty with our elderly, the, the biggest problem is loneliness. Yeah. So what our ultimate goal is, is that we want to get them back within the home. And so we have a program helping people now, and a lot of our people are doing this. It's a marvelous thing. They're building on extra rooms or little houses on their places. So as parents get older, they can just move in there, and the grandkids don't grow up isolated from grandma and grandpa, and they see this modeled. Yeah. And, I mean, I can't, we, you know, we look at it, we can't change the world, but I can, I can impact that here in my county. And each generation that we can do that to, what an incredible way to begin to alter this process. So that's just some of the things that grow out of doing things like that. Well, brother, I, I just really and truly appreciate you taking this time to, to share that because, I mean, even as, even as you're talking to me, uh, I'm coming up with ideas of things that I could start doing in a small way here to do kind of replicate not what you're doing, but just doors that the Lord might open here locally for us. Yes. And I'm hoping all, all of our ways are small. You know, they yeah. start out that way. First the blade or yeah. the seed, then the blade. Yeah. That's what works. Don't despise the day of small things, eh? <laughs> well, if if we truly honor the Lord, we'll learn how to rejoice in those things. Yeah. Well, I have a client waiting for me, so okay. I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much again for taking this time, and, and the Lord bless you and the works of your hands. Well, thank you very much, and the Lord bless you there in your Canada. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Regiment. We hope this podcast inspires and equips you to go and exercise dominion for Christ's kingdom. Terrible as an army with banners.
the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.